You are listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We exist to inspire people to live and love like Jesus. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching. All right. Did you get enough to eat? Good. I mean, calories, calories don't count because you came to church today. God forgives all those in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, who went Black Friday shopping? Who went Insane Thursday shopping? What is wrong with you people? I didn't go this year. I put my foot down and told my wife, I really don't want to go shopping. And she didn't make me, so we didn't go shopping. Um, but grab your Bibles, enough of all that. Grab your Bibles, go to the, the book of Daniel. Old Testament book of Daniel. And while you're turning there, I just want to remind you of a couple things that are, that are going on that are coming up. Number one, thank you for your generosity. Um, because of you guys, we estimate around 1,000 people were able to eat Thanksgiving. So that's awesome. So for those of you who donated meals and for those of you who were able to come out Tuesday night and help us with the delivery, if you're here and you help with the delivery, can you just let the church know how much of a blessing that probably was to you? Um, it's awesome. If you, I know the Tuesday before Thanksgiving is difficult. There's traveling and you're packing and all that kind of stuff. But I think we had, I don't know, around 100 volunteers or so show up uh, Tuesday night to help deliver. And it's just an awesome, awesome blessing. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to have a lunch in, to support our missions team to Haiti. You probably saw the banner um, out front. If you didn't, stop by there and get more details on that. Because um, next Sunday, it's going to be actually across the campus over at the high school's campus. We're going to have a, like a spaghetti type dinner or something um, for our Haiti team. And we need your help. We're taking a group of about 13 of us um, to Laganov, Haiti in late April 2017. We do a trip down there every other year. So if you're interested in that trip, um, maybe you can get on board when we go in a couple years. We'd love to take you, but be praying for that team. And if you will support that team, if you don't want to come and eat, we'll still take your money. Amen. Um, so you can come and help us. Out. It's about it's about two grand a person to go on that trip, and they are responsible for raising their own funds. So just remember that. And one final thing before we dive into the sermon today: uh, two weeks from today, we're going to have baptisms again. Um, December the 11th, we're launching our Christmas series on that Sunday, and we're going to have baptisms. Baptism is an outward display of an inward work. It's how you go public with your faith in Jesus, and it's a special time. And we're we're trying to even ramp it up and make it even more special event as a part of our church. So if you've never gone public with your faith in baptism and would like to do that. Um, we, we always take uh, random folks that day. We'll have everything you need here that day. We have towels and shorts and shirts and that kind of stuff if you decide that day. But if you want to plan in advance, that would be great. There's a form on our website that you can sign up so that we can just kind of prepare uh, for, you to you, for you to come and be baptized that day. And you can invite friends and family to come watch you go public. But we encourage you just to take note of that. Um, but today we're in part three of a series that we're calling Countercultural. And it's all based on this premise that culture's constantly shifting. Amen? Okay, I know it's Thanksgiving and y'all kind of hung over from Turkey, but uh, amen? amen? All right. Uh, culture's constantly shifting, and I know it maybe seems like more so than ever in the current climate that we live in, but the reality is it's always been like that, right? I mean, culture's always shifting and changing, and, 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 but what do you do when culture shifts? That's kind of the question that we've been pondering over the last few weeks, is when culture shifts, when it shifts against the grain of your faith, how are you going to handle that? When it seems like maybe the culture that you're living in, that you're trying to honor God in, you're trying to walk with Christ, you're trying to live by the principles of Scripture, but when culture shifts and kind of begin to go against the grain of what you feel like God calling you to do, how are you going to handle that? How are you going to respond to it? 
Because it's just, it's just going to happen. And it's always been happening. It's not new. It didn't start with this past election or this past 10 years. or it, it, From the very beginning of time, culture's been moving and shifting. And people of faith, people trying to follow God's word, have to figure out how to do that in a culture that's not always conducive to that. It's just like, you know what, if you were on a diet on Thursday trying to figure out how to do that and not eat too much was difficult, right? That's kind of the way we are sometimes. But what we're going against the culture while we're trying to follow God, it can be tricky. And so to do this, we kind of been diving into the word um, because again, this is not the first time this happened. So we've been looking at this guy named Daniel and some of his friends who they were kind of uprooted from their little faith bubble and they got plopped down into a culture that went con- completely against what they'd always known. They, was, they lived in the southern kingdom in Judah and they had kind of grown up in this little bubble where everybody they'd already been associated with believed like they did, talked like they did, followed the same customs. Like it was, it was a nice little bubble like some of us who have lived in the South our whole lives in a lot of ways, right? You kind of grow up in this Christian bubble and then you go off to college and you go crazy. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way it happens sometimes. But here they are, they're in this place and then this kingdom called Babylon comes and takes over. And they take the brightest and, and, and most intelligent guys and they take them out of the southern kingdom of Judah and they put them in Babylon. And so now these guys find themselves in a totally different environment. And everything about that, that culture is going against the grain of their faith. And they're being tested one thing after another. But somehow they manage to stay true to God. And so we're trying to figure out, all right, what can we learn from their lives? What principles can we pick up on as we encounter culture and try to stay true to what God has called us to do as well? So we started in week one, and we looked at, like, from the very beginning, some of the things that was happening to Daniel and his friends are the same things we experience now. Like, the first thing is that the culture tried to give them a new label. And we talked about that first week is culture can give you a label, but only God can give you an identity. Amen? Like culture will slap a label on you and it's really easy to get kind of buy into that label and find your identity and your self-worth in that label. Culture can give you a label, but only God can give you an identity. And when we get our identity rooted in who we are in Christ, that's step one to making sure when culture shifts, it doesn't take us with it. And then we talked about understanding our convictions. That you know what? The world's saying a lot about a lot right now, right? And with social media and news outlets and all this kind of stuff, there's a lot of different opinions about different things that are happening around us. And you, need to, you and I, we need to be rooted in what we believe Scripture to say. And when we're attacked with these things about these different issues and we get all these different perspectives, do we really know what God's Word says? When somebody is challenging you on what you believe about all these hot topic, push button kind of um, t- uh, topics that are happening around our culture, how are you going to respond? And if you're not rooted in God's word and understanding what it says, and if you don't know it for yourself, and culture shifts, it's going to take you with it. And then last week, we kind of kept on moving. We realized that like it's, it, Daniel and his friends, especially Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were continuing to fight these battles. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at that time, created this big idol. And he said, basically, when you hear all this fancy music play at this certain time of day, you're going to bow down, you're going to worship the idol. But these guys, they knew, you know what, we on, we don't, we're not going to worship something less than. We're not going to worship something that's not worthy of our worship. We're not going to do it. And so old King Neb gets kind of upset and says, you're going to do it or we're going to throw you into the burning fire. And they say, that's fine, because we're not going to bow down. We're not going to compromise. And we know God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to do it. And they go into the fire and somehow, some way, they look in and there's not three figures they see in the fire, there's four. And Nebuchadnezzar says, one of, the, one of those guys looks like a son of the gods. And they pull him out of this hot blazing furnace and like, uh, they don't even smell like Marlboro Reds. I mean, they just, they, they're good to go. <laughs> see, some of y'all are laughing because y'all know what that is. 
They, I mean, they, not, they, their bodies didn't even smell like smoke. Now their clothes were, were, was not singed. There was not a single fiber on their being that had been touched by the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar is just blown away. And we talked about last week, because God kind of flipped the script on kind of the direction we ended up going last Sunday, that, you know what, we feel like if I could see a miracle like that, then my faith wouldn't be shaken either. And that I could live in this culture knowing who God is if I could see a miracle like that. And I told you a really cool story about one of our own and what God has been doing in her life. And if you missed last Sunday, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. It was awesome. Uh, it was just cool, and there's no way to replicate kind of what God did, even over a podcast. But God, we were reminded that we don't know if God will, but we know God can. Amen? We don't know God will, but we know He can. And the fact that we know He can is enough to drive our faith forward and believe in who He is and what He wants to do in our lives. Well, I want to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Because if you fi- remember the way that finished, Daniel chapter 3, go to chapter 3, verse 28. So Nebuchadnezzar has just watched these three guys who he threw into the fiery furnace go in and come out unscathed. And remember how he responded. Verse 28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and he and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship um, any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language or say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. In other words, like Nebuchadnezzar was impressed. Like, I mean, you can't see something like that and, and, and not be impressed. He kind of had, had one of those God moments where God did something so spectacular in his midst that like it wrecked him a little bit. And maybe, maybe that last week was kind of like that for you. Um, that maybe hearing, hearing Natalie's story and hearing kind of what God did in her body and all that kind of stuff, maybe that just kind of wrecked you. And now he, Nebuchadnezzar's kind of in that place where he's kind of a, a little bit on that spiritual high where like God just did something. Cool. You ever had one of those moments, if you've never had one of those kind of God encounter kind of moments where you know God showed up, God did something cool, and now you're like, God is awesome for like five minutes. Like, right, we have these spiritual highs. Like, we've had them at some point in our lives where, where God showed up in some kind of miraculous way or we encountered him in a real way. We're like, God, you're so good. You're so great. We love you on Sunday. But then Monday morning comes, and I can't stand that woman I work with. She drives me crazy. And Starbucks has taken five minutes longer than my patients can handle. And, you know, like, it just kind of starts. But we have that moment. And what we pick up right here is Nebuchadnezzar's kind of in that place where God has just seen this miraculous thing. And sometimes we don't really know how to respond to that stuff, right? And I'll be honest with you, even, even reflecting on last Sunday and this whole thing that we've experienced as a church, I, I'm kind of perplexed even like, what, what, what do we do now? But Nebuchadnezzar's kind of having that moment where he's just seen something that he can't explain, that he really can't wrap his mind around, that he can't make sense of. And the only explanation is God. And so when you go into chapter 4, I want you to, let's, let's look at what he writes. Go into chapter 4, verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Like he's all happy. I hope y'all just do good. Like I hope you have a great day. May you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures for generation to generation. Like, old King Neb is on a spiritual high. Like, he's excited. 
Like God's done something cool, and he's just excited that it's happened. And, you know, we've had those moments. But we all realize we don't get to live on the mountain, do we? Right? Okay, thank you. And we don't get to live on the mountain. Like it's all, like last Sunday, you came, you heard a cool story, but then like your life went back to your life probably when you left here. And you got to figure out how, how are you going to wrap your mind around that and how are you going to deal with that? And this is what he says in verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. So Nebuchadnezzar's like, man, I was contented and prosperous. And I don't know, I don't know who, who that is in the room. Like if that, does that describe your life? Like, I was at home. Now, first of all, you're saying, like, dude, I don't live in no palace. I mean, I, I Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Like, we have, sometimes we have those seasons. And, and, and maybe some of you, like, where things are good. You know, all the bills are paid. Like, you ain't got nothing extra, but at least ain't nobody calling you saying, I need money, right? Everything's paid, and, and, and your marriage is kind of going well, and, and, and things are good with your kids, and your job is going all right, and, and like, we have these seasons, but, but are you kind of like me? Even in those seasons, you're like, okay, when's it going to fall apart? Come on. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, thing, it's, it's gotten to the point, even in our culture, like, we don't even, we don't know how to enjoy peace. We don't know how to handle moments of happiness. Like, we don't even know how to handle those moments. Like, we, we live in such a culture, like, we're just waiting for things to fall apart. And I don't know if it's just because that's kind of been our experience, but so many people, and people of faith, can I tell you, we don't have to live that way. But we kind of live with this doom and gloom, like, okay, I don't even want, I know it's good, but it ain't going to be always good. So I ain't even going to get happy. I ain't going to smile. Because it's going to go bad tomorrow. That's kind of the way we feel. And look at what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. See, he's sitting there. He's chilling. He's good. Everything's fine. But then he says, I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in my bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So, like, things are good. And he's coming off this spiritual high. He says, I'm in my palace. I'm contented. But he said, then I had this vision. I had this dream. And what I saw terrified me. And see, I think we've kind of all kind of had those moments, maybe not to the degree and to the level that Nebuchadnezzar has, but have you ever noticed, like, when things are good, nothing bad has to happen for it to feel like it's bad. We just have to think something bad could happen. And it starts to kind of unravel. But there was something at the heart of what's happening in Nebuchadnezzar that's going to start to reveal something about where he was spiritually and where he was in his life that I think we're going to relate to a little bit more than we want to admit Pick up verse 6. It says, So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. And I just want to point out, do you look at, so he, he's, he's doing well, things are good, and he has this dream that, that scares him to death. And notice where he runs. He doesn't go to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He doesn't run to their God. He goes back to his old ways. Right then, he goes back to, to, to these people that represent all the other false gods that he had put his faith in, that he had trusted in, that he had built idols to. And all of a sudden, when things are good, he's in one position, but when things go bad, instead of running to the one source, the one place that could give him peace and comfort, he tries everything else first. Why do we do that? You do it. Right? When things go bad, you, you do everything you can to not have to involve God at times. 
I can fix it. I can handle it. I can make enough money. I can work hard enough. Come on, somebody. Like so often, when things start to go sideways, our first option isn't to run to God. It's really to think, all right, I, I got this. And there's so many people in this room, you've been saying, I got this for so long. As you sit in this place today, you're exhausted because you ain't got this. You cannot fix it. That thing that's broken in your life, there's nothing you can do about it. And the problem is, you know that. And the easiest thing to do is run to the old habits. To find it in an addiction, or in a relationship, or in some other unhealthy habit that you think will somehow settle that unsettled feeling that you have in your heart. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. He ran back to his old ways. And then verse 8, finally. <laughs> finally, Daniel came into my presence. See, he had to go through all the other measures before he went back to Daniel, who he knew had a connection with the one true God. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. Verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree, the tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under, the wild, under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Verse 13, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. Let, it, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass away. See, that would freak y'all out too. Verse 17. The decision is announced by, me by messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone He wishes and sets, them, sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, Daniel, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. He says, dude, I've just had this really weird dream that has wrecked me. It's just messed me up. He said, I've seen this big tree and it's just it, it's enormous and it's visible from everywhere and it touches the sky and it bears all this awesome fruit and like it's just this big beautiful powerful thing but then all of a sudden it's cut down to just a stump and then the stump is just held where it can't grow and produce anything and the guy kind of over it and charge it he's going insane he's going crazy and like I, I really need to know what this means and so Daniel comes to him and verse 24 says, this, the, this is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree of the most high, 
of the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals and you will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass away before you. By, seven times will pass away, pass by for you will, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. So he says, here's what, here's what your dream means. Everything that you've built, everything that you've just spent a lifetime acquiring, and by this time, Nebuchadnezzar had built one of the most impressive, powerful kingdoms that the earth had ever seen. I mean, he, was, he lived this lavish lifestyle. He lived in this big palace. He ruled over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of land. I mean, he had taken territory unequal to any other. And in this dream, basically God sent him a message. All this stuff that you think you've built, it could come crumbling down in a moment if you don't acknowledge me for who I am and what I do. That all this stuff that you value, all these things that you're putting trust and hope in, all these things that have caused you to think that you're something, King Nebuchadnezzar, it's all going to come tumbling down unless you acknowledge that I'm the one who's the cause of it all. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Like if God came to you and said, look, here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow, I had a dream about you. Everybody's like, not me, not me. That you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your cars. You're going to lose your job. Pretty much everything that's within this world that you value, tomorrow it's going to be gone. Unless you acknowledge that all that came from and is sustained by the one true living God. How would you respond? See, we have to think, oh, that's easy. That's easy. If it's so easy, why aren't you already doing it? If it's so easy to, to acknowledge that, to look at God and say, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I own is yours. Everything I have is because you've allowed me to have it. Everything I've ever achieved is because you've given it to me. And now there's people already in the room thinking, no, I earned that. I worked for that. I, if you knew what kind of I had to go through to get it, and how many hours I had to log, and how much money I had to spend. See, it's so easy for us to look more like Nebuchadnezzar than we really want to admit. Come on. Yeah, we may not have the success to the level that maybe he appears to have here in the scripture, but all of us have a level of success to some degree. And if we're admitted, we're proud of it. And if we're not careful, we become a little bit too proud of it. To where we start thinking that, I'm awesome. Look what I did. Look what I achieved. Look what I've created. Look what I've built for myself. And that's where Nebuchadnezzar was. And God was trying to say, look, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't want to take this stuff from you. I don't want you to lose this stuff. But you need to understand that all of it is because of me. And if you just acknowledge that, everything's going to be okay. But if you don't, it's all going to come crumbling down. So look, verse 28. 
All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Now I want you just to kind of, I want to leave those words on the screen for a minute. Look what he says. He's hanging out one night. He's on the roof of the palace and he's looking over this kingdom. And he says, look what I have done. I have built my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. And Nebuchadnezzar right in that moment makes a costly mistake because he starts to believe into his own hype. And church, I'm worried that if we're not careful in the culture that we live in, that's kind of where we end up. See, I believe that when culture shifts, it will seek to put you at the center of your success. Like we live in a culture that says, you did it, you earned it, it's about you, protect what you got to protect to make sure whoever you got to step on to climb the corporate ladder, whatever you got to do to make sure you get what you want, you just do it. And, and, and can we even say that it, it's even led to a bit of a, an entitlement mentality? Everybody gets a trophy. All you got to do is show up because you're that great. And before we know it, the one thing that has the potential to unravel us and really disconnect us from God begins to grow, and that's pride. Pride. Can I, can, I prob- can I make a really bold statement? At the root of everything dumb I've ever done has been pride. Hey, watch this. That's the precursor to every 911 call in the history of the world. <laughs> pride. Those moments when, when we think we're the God of our own universe. Those times when we think we can decide what's best for us. Those times when we believe because we've worked so hard and we've done so much and we've earned it, that it's ours. And we begin to protect it and hoard it and get greedy over it. And see, this is kind of, you've probably heard me say this, I believe that we're all born with like a, a, a throne room in our heart. That Because that, here's, here's the reality, maybe you didn't know this, you are a human being created by the God of the universe on purpose and for a purpose in his image. You are not an accident. You are not random, no matter what your mama said. <laughs> you are on purpose. The fact that you have life is because God wanted you to. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And he sent Jesus in order to remove the stuff that stood between you and him so that you could have that relationship. And in your heart that he created, there's a throne room. And whatever sits on that throne is what runs your life. And here's the thing. God gave you the ability to choose what's going to sit on that throne. And whatever sits on that throne, it guides how you spend your money. It guides how you spend your time. It guides how you approach your career. It guides everything in your life. And for some of us, we've had a rotating set of kings that have come off our heart. But can I say that I really believe the number one competitor for that throne is you. You are God's biggest competition for God of your life. 
And when pride comes along, you sit on that throne and you, you start determining what you're gonna do, what you're not gonna do, how you're gonna handle life. You start making all those decisions. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar did. And I think we live in a culture that fosters that. That says you deserve to sit on the throne room of your own heart. You make your own decisions, whatever's best for you. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar had lived his whole life doing. And God gave him a shot. He said, look, man, this stuff that you're seeing in this dream, it doesn't have to happen. You just acknowledge me. You acknowledge me. You don't let pride sink in. You stay focused on who I am, and things are going to be good. And he didn't do it. And literally, he went crazy. So can I ask you a question? What's sitting on the throne? Who's sitting on the throne room of your heart? Is it that pride for selfish you, or is it God? Because see, when it's pride, there's some things that start happening. When it's pride, you become self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. When pride takes over and you are sitting on the throne room of your own heart, you become self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. I can do it. I can do it my way. What I believe matters most, how I feel in the moment, whatever my emotions are, I can do this myself. I can make my own way. And you know what? Men, we're so guilty of this. I can do it. I'm a man. I can handle it. I got this. But can I just remind you what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. See, when pride takes control, you'll become self-sufficient instead of God-dependent. It'll become about what you want instead of what God wants. God will no longer be involved in those decisions. Some of us, we're dealing with the consequences of decisions that we've made for years independent of the voice of God. And that's a dangerous place to be. When pride takes over, our prayer life becomes more about emergency than intimacy. A lot of us pray emergent prayers, don't we? God, I need you. I messed up again. I made a bad... Come on. That's most of our prayer lives at times, right? Like we're, we, we've done something stupid and we're trying to pray our way out of it. And it becomes more about emergency. And our communication with God is only when we need him to bail us out. Only when we need him to fix it. But what if we, instead of that we were praying with intimacy in him, with him and we were living so closely connected to the Holy Spirit of God that we knew what he wanted for our lives and we made better decisions and we allowed him to be the driving force behind what we did. Do you know how many scars we would save ourselves from if we would just live with a prayer life of intimacy instead of emergency? Speaking to him before we did the stupid thing we need him to bail us out of to get his wisdom and discernment Jesus could tell this about the people of his day in Matthew chapter 15. He quotes the prophet Isaiah. In verse 9, he says, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human. He said, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know what? When, when pride takes over, we live more in arrogance than we do gratitude. Arrogance becomes the ruling force in our lives and not gratitude toward God for what he's done. We believe we've done it. We believe we've achieved it. The only place for arrogance, to, for pride to end up is in being arrogant over who we are and our gifts and our talents. And I know we're coming out of Thanksgiving week and everybody's grateful during Thanksgiving. You've been on Facebook. Day one, I'm thankful for my car. Day two, I'm thankful for sunshine. And like by day 24, you're like, I'm thankful just to be alive. I don't even, I got nothing. 
But what if we live with a constant gratitude, acknowledging, you know what, the reality is everything you have is because he's allowed it. Everything you have is because he's given it to you. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. See, when pride takes over, it becomes more about ownership than stewardship. I earned it. I own it. It's mine. I can do with it whatever I want to. I, I need to protect it. Instead of, it's his. He allowed me to have it. He gave it to me. He can take it away. He can do with it whatever he wants. And we start to act like we're owners of all this stuff in our lives instead of just stewards of it. But we got to be reminded like, again that everything you have is because he allowed you to have it. James chapter 1 verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. When pride takes over, you will consume instead of contribute. You will just suck the life out of everything around you and drain it instead of being a contributor and making a difference in the world. See, I think God has put you on this planet so that when you leave it, it's better because you were here. That's just kind of become a, you know, a cool prayer that God's been just asking me to pray is, God, may their life be better because I was in it. What if you prayed that? May their life be better because I was in it. May because they knew me and because I had a relationship, may they be better because I was in it. May I have contributed something so great to their life, their life was better because I was in it. See, Nebuchadnezzar had an opportunity before he lost it all to acknowledge God, to swallow his pride, to give him glory and credit, and he refused to do it. I don't want to see us make the same mistake. I know you're awesome. I know you've created a lot of things. I know you work hard. I know you've given blood, sweat, and tears to get where you are in this life. I know that everything that you have has probably been by struggle, and you've had to earn every penny. And let me just, don't make the mistake. See, we think that pride can only exist in prosperity, but I've seen just as much pride exist in poverty as I have in prosperity. So who's on the throne room of your heart today? Is it you? And are you existing and operating from a perspective of pride? The good news is, you have a chance to make a decision in this room today. Here's a cool thing about Nebuchadnezzar's story. Yeah, he made a bad decision and he lost everything. But because he would eventually make some decisions and turn around, he was restored. Because God's got a second chances, amen. But will you just ponder that question with, with me for just a little while this morning? Just bow your heads and close your eyes. You have a throne room in your heart. Every one of us does. Who resides on it right now? Is it God? Is he the driving force behind your life? Or somewhere along the way did you take control? And maybe in prideful arrogance decided you could do it better than he could. Today you get a chance to reverse that decision. For you to step away from that throne and give God the rightful seat in your life. Aren't you ready to do that? If that's you, you'd say, you know what, Matt? For a long time now, I've kind of been the one in charge. <laughs> I've been kind of living God on the other side of things. And he, yeah, I believe in him and I know he's there, but I've been kind of trying to run the show. I've been kind of living self-sufficient and probably a little bit arrogant. And I've been 
pretend like I own everything and I've been more consuming and I just know I need to make a change. And I want to take me off the throne and allow God to have his rightful seat. If that's you, will you do something really brave for me? Just put your hand up. Just put it up and leave it up. I'm going to pray for you. Put it up and leave it up high. Leave it up high. Leave it up high. Leave it up high. Amen. 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 You can put them down. Right now, this is what I want you to do. You can't feel guilt and gratitude at the same time. Don't feel guilty. Let the power and promise of the blood of Jesus wash away that guilt and flood you with gratitude for who he is and what he wants to do in your life. And we're going to worship and we're going to acknowledge him. And I just want to go ahead and tell you, anytime during this next song as we worship, as we sing, if you feel led to come and kneel at this altar, just symbolically kneeling before his throne, I'm going to invite you to do that. But I'm going to invite you to go ahead, if you would stand with me, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship this morning and let God to continue to work in our lives. Father, we give you this space, we give you this room, we give you this time. Continue to work in our lives. God, for every hand that went up, I pray that you would just speak truth and power and grace over everyone. God, I pray that you would take away guilt and shame. And I pray that, God, they would have the courage just to allow you to have their, your rightful seat in the throne room of their hearts this day as we worship you and we give you everything we have. We surrender to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at vintagechurch.net.